I know I'll never be an ordinary kid. Foggy? They stare. Let them stare. People don't like to touch me because they think I'm contagious. He's a freak. Never seen anything that ugly in my life. Could have let the world decide all of the things that I can't or can't do. You are not ugly, and anyone who cares to know you will see that. What if I had taken all the things that broke me and made them my truth? I'm gonna feel like you're all alone, Augie, but you're not. I'm wide awake now. I'm free of the doubt. Don't wanna die. Not low school either, huh? And if I fall out, I'll lay on the and look to the I don't like eating in front of people. What do you mean? I think I chew like some prehistoric swamp turtle. No joke. Me too. It's like I got brand new eyes and I can finally see what it's always been right there in front of me. And with these brand new eyes, I'll take in everything and I will finally see. Awesome. Good. <laughs> marks on our face this is the map that shows us where we're going and this is the map that shows us where you've been if you really want to see what people are all you have to do is look the movie wonder what we're looking at this first Sunday in this new series of faith in film. And I don't know about you, but for me, this has been quite a roller coaster of a week. On Wednesday, after the Tuesday elections, I wanted to declare it a a day of celebration. Now, that's not because all the candidates that I voted for won, but it was because for, for hopefully the next 15 seconds or maybe three weeks... We would be free from those demeaning, derogatory campaign ads that have filled up the airways for a long time. Amen. (laughs) And you know, during this election season, in addition to learning all the terrible things about the candidates in North Carolina, I spent some time in Atlanta, and and there I learned all about the terrible things about Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, and never once did I learn why I should vote for either one of them. It seems like the folks that have the meanest message are the ones that win. But my desire for peace, my desire for a day of celebration was short-lived. As I woke up on Thursday morning, and heard about the shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks, California. A shooting where 12 persons were killed and others were injured. One of those victims was an 18-year-old Pepperdine student from Napa, California, a close, close friend of my cousin's family, which made the tragedy all the more real. And I think that's important because it makes it it's so easy for us to get numb to all the violence today. It was reported as a part of the, the coverage of that shooting that this was the 307th mass shooting in the last 311 days. 
let that sink in for a moment. 307th shooting in the last 311 days. And I did a bit of fact-checking to make sure, and, and the definition that was used in this statistic about a, a mass shooting was, was a shooting where four or more persons were injured or killed in the same location in, the, in generally the same time. You know, I think that definition works for me. I don't know about you. So in a week where I desired some peace, I desired some good news, a lot of that was overshadowed by sadness and a feeling of helplessness and and frustration and anger and thinking about this movie Wonder and the message that it brings. It's an interesting movie. It's a movie that, that talks about kindness as it tells the story of a young boy. Clap if you've seen this film. And, and I think this movie also takes us on a roller coaster of, of emotions as, as we learn the story of August Pullman. He's called Augie for short. He, he suffers from Treacher-Collins syndrome. It's a genetic disorder that manifests in severe facial deformities, among other things. And and as we learn about him, it it, it takes place during his middle school year, and it's based on on a best-selling novel. And the story begins to be told from Augie's perspective. But then later, we hear that same story told from the perspective of his parents and his sister and his classmate and his friends. And as we hear that story, we root for Augie, the main character. We root as, as, as he's bullied. We root for him as, as he tries to make friends, and, and that's not an easy thing in middle school if you don't have physical deformities. And we root for him when finally he, he's affected by the inspiration of others and in return inspires them. Perhaps the greatest, most explicit theme of this book um, comes early on in the movie. It's, it's taught by his English teacher, Mr. Brown, who seems intent on teaching values in addition to teaching literature and grammar. Watch now as Mr. Brown shares the most important lesson of the film. Anybody tell me what this word means. Anybody? No? Precepts are rules for really important things. Like mottos. Like mottos or like famous quotes or like um, lines from a fortune cookie, right? Precepts can help motivate us. They can help guide us when we have to make decisions about really important things, okay? So who wants to read this month's precept? (laughs) What about you? What's your name? Summer. Summer. Want to give it a shot? When given the choice between being right or being kind, choose kind. Choose kind. It's the value that undergirds every action in this film. It's, it's the value, it's the goal that each of the characters are working towards. Did you know that in the Bible, the word kind or kindness is used 452 times? It's the major tenet of our faith. 
It's actually the major tenet of every world religion, which is kind of surprising since we um, in this world can't seem to agree on much when it comes to, to religious values. But it's there. And this morning, I won't read you all 452 verses where we find the word kindness. But I do want to share with you one of the most instructive places that I find it. It's in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossae is is a small town. It's, It's in what we now know is Turkey. And it's a place where a small church had been formed. Paul's writing, we think, from in prison to this small church, and and Paul hadn't visited there in person. One of his disciples had gone and had started that church. But he'd come back to him that it was important that they kind of know what, what was most important for the community of faith. What was necessary for a a church to be vibrant and healthy and, and continue to grow? Then, like now, Paul knew that that this small community of faith, this young community of faith, even younger than West is today, they they needed to keep the main thing the main thing. And so he sends them some um, instructions. And so in verse 3, in chapter 3, here's what he writes to them. Set aside these things, such as anger, and rage, and malice, and slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices, and put on the new nature, which is renewed in the knowledge by conforming to the image of God who created the world. Therefore, therefore as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against you, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also forgive each other. Now, when I encounter the scriptures, one of the things I like to do is also to look at Eugene Peterson's The Message, because I love the word pictures that he's able to present. And so here's what he says about the second half of what I just read. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe that God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, and discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of whatever you, you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without love. So what do we do with that scripture? Well, I think what we have to do is, is listen to it, also remembering Mr. Brown's precept, and particularly the beginning of it, where he said, when, when you have to choose between what is right and between what is kind, choosing between what is right and what is kind. And friends, no religion has a monopoly on kindness. But you know what? I think every religion, including Christianity, thinks we have a monopoly on what is right. 
as do most atheists and probably most politicians. And so do you and I. We think we've got a monopoly on what is right, and we live in a world where we're going to tell people about that no matter what. It makes me a little depressed to think that we're dealing with the same thing that they were dealing with 2,000 years ago, but all we can, you and I can do is, is deal with now. When given the choice between being right or being kind, be kind. And I have to wonder, is that too simple? Is it too naive? Is it, is it too Pollyanna-ish? I don't think so. And even if it is, I'd, I'd like to give it a try. This precept, as Mr. Brown calls it, uh, reminded me of a book that I read this past summer called The Anatomy of Peace from the Arbinger Institute. And you'll see the picture of that book there. It's, it's an interesting book because it's, it's kind of a fable about a father named Lou who had a drug-addicted son. And Lou reluctantly, in fact, very reluctantly, goes to attend a workshop for parents of, of troubled youth. And as Lou goes, he, he has no intent on taking responsibility for any of the struggles that his family is having. Rather, he's going to blame it. He's, he has been blaming it all on the troubles of his son and, and probably some other troubles of his work. And, and so as, as they're at this workshop, which is being led by a Palestinian and an Israeli, what the parents are taught is that it's their actions and their behaviors that make a difference. That treating someone with kindness and respect actually goes a long way farther than, than confronting them if you want them to make a different decision or, or have a different behavior. And so what the leaders of this workshop do is, is they use the conflict between the parents and the children, between the parents, the spouses themselves, even some conflict that develops between the workshop participants to make their point. And the premise is, is that most of the problems in this world happen because of the way that we relate to one another. Because in each one of our relationships, we have a choice. And, and look at how they describe that. We have a choice between having a, a heart of peace or a heart of war. Between seeing others as, as persons or seeing other people as objects. And when we have a heart of peace, what we do is we see in another person their humanity. We see them as, as valued, as, as a person, as, as someone who contributes to the world. But when we have a heart of war, we, we no longer value them. We no longer see them as human. Rather, we see them as an object that can be used or, or obstacles that get in the way of our goals or even sometimes is, is irrelevant. As Jane Ives described it, it it's when we have um, that heart of war that we have difficulty seeing the perspective of another person, even imagining why they do or, or say what they're doing. And that often can provoke hurtful 
hurtful behavior in the other. And what we tend to do as we have that heart of war is that we tend to justify our actions by one of four or maybe more than one of four basic needs. And here's what they are. We have the need to to believe that we're better than others. Or we have the need to believe that that, that we're worse than others. We have the need to believe that that we deserve more than others. Or we, we have the need to be well thought of by others. And these needs are, are like boxes, as, uh, and, and they're boxes in which we, we ourselves are trapped until we can see the, the limitations of this kind of thinking and, and be willing to step out and, and get a different perspective. So, so let's look at each one of these boxes for a few minutes because I think it helps us to be able to step out of these things in order to choose kindness, to be a people who put on compassion and gentleness and love. And the first box is, is the better than box. It's, it's where we think we're superior and, and better than other people, where we think our cause is, is the most virtuous one, where we look down on others as inferior and flawed. Watch this clip of Julian, who spends most of the movie bullying Augie, for how the better than box works. You wrote that, Julian? Yes, sir. That one note was on the back of a class photo. Your son photoshopped Augie out of it. No. No, he didn't. I did. Of course, I didn't think that he would bring it to school. But when our friends come over and they see that picture, I want them to ask about our son, not the Pullmans. Mrs. Hawkins, when we pressed Augie, he showed us these other notes that your son left in his locker and on his desk. Chair. Okay, look, if no one else is going to have the courage to say it, then I guess I will. These kids are too young to be dealing with this sort of thing. Julian has had nightmares because of that kid. Did you know that? We had to take him to a child psychologist to help him deal with his night terrors. It's just a two-day suspension. You'll stay home from the nature preserve trip. That's all. Two days for a couple of notes from a kid. After all the money that we have poured into the school... We have a lot of friends in the school board, Mr. Tushman. Oh. Well, I have more. So what would you have us do? Bend over backwards for every single person in the world? Nobody can get their feelings hurt, ever? <laughs> you are not doing these kids any favors. Miss Albans, Augie can't change the way he looks. So, maybe we can change the way we see. Yes, I will be sure to tell that to the real world. Thank you for this. We won't be back in the fall. Mom, like the school. Mom, I have friends, Dad. Let's go to them. Come on. 
Tushman? I'm really sorry. I know you are, Julian. So Julian's learned well, hasn't he? Well, from his parents about what it means to, to treat others as, as better, better than, um, than you think they are. And, and, and he does that, and, and he's in a box of, of thinking he's superior and thinking it's okay to treat Augie as, as an object. And hopefully, hopefully he's come to see that and is able to, to step out of the box as the movie concludes. So that's the first box where we see ourselves as better than, as superior to, as, 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 as persons lesser than we are. And the second box is just the opposite. It's where we see ourselves as less than other people. It, it, it's where we feel like we're the victim and, and that the world is hard and that everybody else around us is, is lucky and that we, we don't have any contribution to make. I've gotten Andrea's okay to share this, but a couple weeks ago when she talked about how she had been challenged by her colleagues and even the leadership team here at West to to stop devaluing herself, what what she was saying was that, that she more often than not finds herself in this box. She was being vulnerable in, and saying that, that, that she feels that, that oftentimes she is less than. Flawed, not as smart as or, or as competent as. And, and we all know that's, that's so not true. But it's a box she feels trapped in and is seeking to get out of. The third box is, is the box to, that, that where we believe that, that we deserve more than others. It's where we feel like, like the world isn't treating us fairly that we're the victim, that, that we, we didn't get what we should have gotten. It's part of my role in the conference. I work with the bishop and, and the district superintendents as we place ministers in churches um, every year. And we often hear from clergy who, who are trapped in this box when they're not happy with the appointment that they've been given. We hear things like, well, well, I thought I deserved more responsibility. I've, I've been working hard. Or, or I, thought, I thought you would listen more closely to what I said I wanted to do. Rather than being willing to, to trust God and, and going to serve where they're needed. It's, it's an easy box to fall into. As we think we deserve. Deserve more than others. And then the final box is, is that box where we feel like we, we need to be thought well of by others. It's my favorite go-to box. It's where people feel like they're being watched and where they're being judged and, and they're always worried about what other people are thinking of them. And I spend a lot of time doing that or fighting against doing that, worrying about what other people will say to me or say about me. And the interesting thing about all of these boxes or all of these kind of defaults is that we can move between them all the time. In any one given day, I can think I'm better than the drivers that are heading up 77 with me as they're moving in and out of traffic and and almost causing accidents, and, and I'm driving so absolutely safely. 
And I can think that I'm worse than some of my colleagues who seem to have so much more wisdom and, and are more articulate than I am. And I think I can, I, I should, I deserve the appreciation of my niece who's come to live with me, that, that she should realize that, that I've disrupted my life in order to have her be there. And so the least she could give would be a thank you. And always I have that in the back of my mind, that, that need to be thought well of others, that worried about my appearance, thinning hair, um, what I'm doing, what I'm saying. What are other people going to think if I, if I ask for help? They might not like me. And so if I want to choose kind, I've got to be willing to recognize that that's what I'm doing that I'm in a box where I treat other people as objects, where I dehumanize them. And I've got to be willing to step out of the box to, to get a different perspective, to realize that they, like me, are created by God, are persons of sacred and, and infinite worth. I've got to pause and be willing to, to step outside of, of all my thoughts and feelings and think about things from their perspective. As Mr. Brown talks about it so much, everyone is fighting hard battles, so be kind. If I can remember that, I can have a heart of peace. When Paul tells the church at Colossae to to put on kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience, what he's inviting them to do is to move from a heart of war to a heart of peace, to allow the love and care of others that, that comes from the love and care that God has given to each one of them to be the most important thing in their community. And also to remember that that they're not in it alone. That the very reason why we've been called together as a community of faith is in order to help each other. To help each other realize when we are treating people as objects, when, when we are locked in one of those boxes. And then even more importantly, to encourage one another to, to get out of those boxes to be willing to to love others and get in touch with that as we get in touch with the love that God has for each one of us. You know, in this roller coaster world, where it seems that often evil and and violence and, and meanness rule, the church, you and I, we're called to live differently. We're called to live in a way that's, that's characterized by, by seeing the uniqueness, the goodness in, in each and every person. To the end that the people that we encounter every day come to know that it's this community. It's this community that has as its highest value the value of love, the value of kindness, the value of care. I don't know about you, but as I continue to walk through this world, I really want, I really want us to give that a good try. Would you pray with me? 
Almighty and gracious God, we do give you thanks that you love each one of us, that you're a good, good father, and that we're loved by you. And we ask, oh God, that you would enable us to share that love with others, that even in small, small ways, we might make a difference in this world by being kind. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, choir. That was beautiful. Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, graduates, final award this morning is the Henry Ward Beecher Medal to honor students who have been notable or exemplary. Usually, it's a good works, a service award. But I came upon a passage that he wrote, which made me realize that good works come in many forms. Greatness, he wrote, lies not in being strong, but in the right using of strength. He or she is the greatest whose strength carries up the most hearts by the attraction of his own. Without further ado, this year, I am very proud to award the Henry Ward Beecher Medal to the student whose quiet strength has carried up the most hearts. So, Will August Pullman please come up here to receive this award? that stage, I felt like I was floating. My heart was beating so fast. I didn't really understand why I was getting a medal. It's not like I blew up the Death Star. All I did was get through fifth grade, just like everyone else here. Congratulations. There you go. That's for you. Then again, maybe that's kind of the point. Maybe the truth is, I'm really not so ordinary. Maybe if we knew what other people were thinking, we'd know that no one's ordinary. And we all deserve a standing ovation, at least once in our lives. My friends do. My teachers do. My sister does for always being there for me. My dad does for always making us laugh. And my mom does the most for never giving up on anything 
especially me. It's like that last precept Mr. Brown gave us. Be kind, for everyone is fighting hard battle. And if you really want to see what people are, all you have to do is look. So we live in a world, we live in a world where it seems like the, the forces of darkness, evil and anger and meanness, are, are in this battle against the forces of light, goodness, kindness, compassion, mercy. We've come to believe that, that darkness is the opposite of light, and that in the end, one of them's going to win. But that's not Right? For darkness is actually the absence of light. And when I turn on the light, it takes away, it dispels the darkness. There's no chance of the darkness overcoming it. For the light takes away the darkness. May we be people, people of the light people who go out and make sure every person in this world gets a standing ovation. Let us go forth and choose kindness that we might make a difference, that we might dispel the darkness in this world. Go forth in Christ's love and have a great week.